Translation My dear Lord, what you have said to your unalloyed devotee is certainly very much bewildering. The allurements you offer in the Vedas are certainly not suitable for pure devotees. People in general, bound by the sweet words of the Vedas, engage themselves again and again in fruitive activities, enamored by the results of their actions. Purport by Srila Prabhupada Srila Narutumadas Thakur, a great Acharya of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, has said that persons who are very much attached to the fruitive activities of the Vedas, namely Karmakanda and Janakanda, are certainly doomed. In the Vedas, there are three categories of activities, known as Karmakanda, fruitive activities, Jnanakanda, philosophical research, and Upasana Kanda, worship of the different demigods for receiving material benefits. Those who are engaged in Karmakanda and Jnanakanda are doomed, in the sense that everyone is doomed who is entrapped by the material, this material body. Whether it is a body of a demigod, a king, a lower animal, or whatever, the sufferings of the threefold miseries of material nature are the same for all. Cultivation of knowledge to understand one's spiritual position is also, to a certain extent, a waste of time. Because a living entity is an eternal part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, his immediate business is to engage himself in devotional service. Preacher Maharaj therefore says that the allurement of material benediction is another trap to entangle one in this material world. He therefore frankly tells the Lord that the Lord's offerings of benedictions in the form of material facilities are certainly causes for bewilderment. A pure devotee is not at all interested in bhukti or mukti. The Lord sometimes offers benedictions to the neophyte devotees who have not yet understood that material facilities will not make them happy. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Lord therefore says that a sincere devotee who is not very intelligent may ask some material benefit from the Lord. But the Lord, being omniscient, does not generally give material rewards, but, on the contrary, takes away whatever material, takes away whatever material facilities are being enjoyed by his devotee. So that ultimately the devotee will completely surrender unto him. In other words, the offering of benedictions in the form of material profit is never auspicious for the devotee. The statement of the Vedas which offer elevation to the heavenly planets in exchange for great sacrifices are simply bewildering. Therefore in Bhagavad Gita 2.42, the Lord says, Yamimam pushpitam bhacham prabhadanti avipaschitaha The less intelligent class of man, avipaschitaha Attracted by the flowery language of the Vedas, engage in fruitive activities to become materially benefited. Thus, they continue life after life in different bodily forms to search very, very hard. Om Gyan Atamadandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshusunitamina Tasma Sri Kravena Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Yenabutale Swamapakdamayan Tadantiswabhantam Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Sri Vasari Gaur Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vancha Kalpa Tubistha Kripa Sindhu Vevacha Patitadam Padmebhu Vaishnavi Pyonamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamam
this great king wants. All it seems that he, it is that he wants is that he wants to hear about the Lord and that he wants to associate with devotees so he can hear about the Lord. And all he wants is to forever serve the Lord. <laughs> and then his ultimate desire in the last verse, please just bestow upon me whatever you think is best. Just like a father. So, <clears throat> from verse 21 to this verse number 31, these are the prayers by Prita Maharaj offering to the Supreme Lord. We see the Supreme Lord was so pleased with the king and uh, he offered him any benediction in the world he wanted. Can you imagine a person who is the Supreme Personality Guided who has created everything, who is the source of everything? You know, it, it's like you can't imagine. He's asking him, you know, you can have any kind of benediction you want. So these prayers, they reveal the elevated consciousness of the king. And here he expressed what he does and does not want. And uh, so, there's a couple of nice verses that I really like, which is going to relate to the basic theme of this class, which is so important to hear about the Supreme Lord. And so this is a good thing to have, but in order to hear about the Supreme Lord, we have to have a prerequisite. We have to associate with the devotees of the Lord. Because in association of devotees, then you can hear about the Supreme Personality Guided. And when you hear about the Supreme Personality Guided, then what do you want to do? You just want to serve Him. And this is what Maharaj is praying for. He wants to hear about the Lord. He wants to associate with the devotees so he can hear about the Lord. And then ultimately he wants to serve the Lord according to the Lord's desire, whatever He thinks is best. So in text 24, in uh, one, the prayer that says, I just want the benediction of at least one million ears, for thus I may be able to hear about the glories of your lotus speech from the mouths of your pure devotees. Wouldn't that be awesome to have a million ears? Like sometimes I'm studying for class and my wife is listening to another class, you know, which is really nice from from someone like Sachinanda Swami. And then there's another class going on right here in LA, you know, by a devotee, and then there's other classes by Srila Prabhupada. And then there's classes going on all over the world at different times. <clears throat> you can tune into them live all over the world by so many nice devotees, such realizations, glorifying the Supreme Personality Guided. But I only have two ears. So I can only concentrate on one thing at a time. But if I had millions of ears and millions of, uh, you know, like that one prayer that's described, you know, I just want millions of mouths, millions of ears to hear about the glories of the Lord. So, just think if I had millions of ears, I could hear of all these things simultaneously and just drink the nectar, <laughs> taste the nectar. Actually, we use the tongue to taste, but actually, the, you can actually taste through the ears also because this is transcendental sound vibrations. And then the next, next verse, text 25, he says, My dear Lord, you're glorified by selected verses uttered by great personalities. Such glorification of your lotus feet is just like saffron particles when the transcendental vibration from the mouths of great devotees carries the aroma of the saffron dust of your lotus feet, the forgetful living entity gradually remembers his eternal relationship with you. So just see, the devotees, why are they so powerful? Because they carry that aroma of the saffron dust. And we'll learn more about that, the, the exalted position of devotees. So he continues, devotees thus gradually come to the right conclusion about the value of life. My dear Lord, I therefore do not need any other benediction but the opportunity to hear from the mouth of your pure devotee. And then the next verse, 26, it says, My dear Lord, highly glorified Lord, if one in the association of pure devotees hears even once the glories of your activities, he does not, unless he is nothing but an animal, give up the association of devotees. For no intelligent person would be so careless as to leave their association. The perfection of chanting and hearing about your glories was accepted even by the goddess of fortune who desires to hear of your unlimited activities and transcendental glories. So here is thinking of the goddess of fortune. The goddess of fortune, I mean, everything here is practically a manifestation of her. Of, of her. You see, all these opulences, everything we see in the world is a manifestation of her. So what is there that she doesn't have? But what does she want? What does the goddess of fortune want? What is everything? So he's going after that. 
what she wants. Most people are approaching the goddess of fortune to get her favor. But he's trying to find out what does the goddess of fortune desire? And here she's also desiring to hear about the glories. And she actually wants to hear about the gopis, really. You know, she did so many austerities and she wanted to hear about them so she could get into the mood. So that the mood of the gopis can enter her heart. And that is to constantly hear, serve Krishna in a very loving way. So, this is very nice. Um, in that purport to the next verse, there's this part of the purport that I'd like to read in text 31, where Prithamara says, please, you know, you're just like a father, you know, he's very concerned about the son, and the son doesn't wait for anything, he doesn't demand, but the father automatically does everything for the benefit of the son, so just bestow upon me whatever you think is best for me. So Prabhupada in the purport says there, just a part of the purport, our duty is simply to surrender the Supreme Personality guided and let him take charge, for he knows what is good for us. So that's it, surrendering process. So we'll talk about that also. So Mars Prabhupada continues, Prithamaraj therefore tells the Lord that as a Supreme Father, he may elect to bestow whatever he considers beneficial for Prithamaraj. That is a perfect position of the living entity. Therefore, Sri Chaitanya Prabhu teaches us in his Shikshastrika, and Prabhupada quotes that, that I have no desire to commit wealth, you know, all these things in the material world. I just want to, your cause is devotional service, life after life. So Sri Prabhupada concludes here, he says, the conclusion is that a pure devotee should not aspire after any material benefit from devotional service, nor should he be enamored by fruitive activities or philosophical speculation. He should always be engaged favorably in the service of the Lord. That is the highest perfection of life. So again, Prabhupada is referring to that Bhukti Mukti, all these things. We're not interested in these things, in, even in the next verse. So, Prabhupada, in the purport of today's verse, he quotes Bhagavad Gita. Yam Yam, or Yam Imam Pushpitam Bhacham, Prabhandanti Avipaschitaha. So that's how it continues the Veda, Veda, Rata, Parta, Nanya, Rastivindina, Kamatmana, Svarga, Para, Janma, Karma, Phala, Pradam, Kriya, Visesha, Bhulam, Ogaisvarya, Gatim, Prati. That's the 242. So in that verse, Prabhupada quotes the Mami Mam, like all these. What is it? All these what? Pushpitam, flowery, Bacham, words, Pravadam, say, Avi, Paschita, men with a poor fund of knowledge. So those are them. So Prabhupada, the translation to that verse is, men of small knowledge are very much attached to the flowery words of the Vedas, which recommend various fruitive activities for elevation to heavenly planets, result in good birth, power, and so forth. Being desirous of sense gratification, opium life, they say that there's nothing more than this. So this is what their desire is. They don't have a desire to serve the Supreme Lord, but their desires of their own serving their own senses, which is what they are are not. They're serving an illusion. So it's a very powerful purport. Should Prabhupada gives a couple paragraphs. I'd like to read those. So Prabhupada says there people in general are not very intelligent, and due to their ignorance they're most attached to food of activities recommended in the Karma Kanda portion of the Vedas. They do not want anything more than sense gratificatory proposals for enjoying life in heaven where wine and women are available and material opulence is very common. In the Vedas, many sacrifices are recommended for elevation to the heavenly planets, especially the Jyotish Doma sacrifices. In fact, it is stated that anyone desiring elevation to the heavenly planets must perform these sacrifices, and men with a poor fund of knowledge think that this is the whole purpose of the Vedic wisdom. It is very difficult for such inexperienced persons to be situated in the determined action of Krishna consciousness. As fools are attached to the flowers of poisonous trees without knowing the results of such attractions, unenlightened men are similarly attracted by such heavenly opulences and the sense enjoyment thereof. In the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, it is said, Apama Somam Amrita Abhuma and Akshayam Ha Vai Chatramasha Yagnai Sukitam Bhavati. In other words, those who perform the four-month penances become eligible to drink the Soma Ras beverages to become immortal and happy forever. 
Even on this earth, some are very eager to have somaras to become strong and fit to enjoy sense gratifications. Such persons have no faith in liberation from material bondage, and they are very much attached to the pompous ceremonies of Vedic sacrifices. They are generally sensual, and they do not want anything other than the heavenly pleasures of life. It is understood that there are gardens called Nandana Kanana, in which there is a good opportunity for association with angelic, beautiful women and having a profuse supply of somaras wine. Such bodily happiness is certainly essential. Therefore, there are those who are purely attached to such material, temporary happiness as lords of the material world. <laughs> so, probably breaks it down with who is less intelligent, even though there are where people think, oh, heaven, man, that's who, who doesn't want heaven? But that is actually not very intelligent because it's temporary. So we have to not be attached to these flowery words of these Vedic hymns and Vedic limbs, I mean Vedic leaves. And this is also repeated in the Bhagavad Gita in the 15th chapter. The first five verses explain about this uh, asvatam prior avyayam chidamsi yasya parani. That's the asvatam, the banyan tree, which is prahu, as it's said, avyayam eternal, and chadamsi, the Vedic hymns. And yasya parani itself, which the leaves. So these leaves, probably mentioned in the last verse we read, that he says here, the Supreme Person says, it is, stayed, it is said that there is an imperishable banyan tree that has its roots upward and its branches down, and whose leaves are the Vedic hymns. One who knows this tree is the knower of the Vedas. Okay, now Prabhupada says here, I won't read the whole purport, but just to give you an idea, Prabhupada explains the meaning and brings out this verse very nicely in his purport. He says uh, there, it is explained in this chapter that the purpose of the Vedic study is to understand Krishna. Therefore, one who is in Krishna consciousness who is engaged in devotional service, already knows the Vedas. So there you have it. And then in another section of that purport, Sri Prabhupada says, the process of extrication should be understood. In the previous chapters, it has been explained that there are many processes by which to get out of the material entanglement. And up to the 13th chapter, we have seen that devotional service to the Supreme Lord is the very best way. Now, the basic principle of devotional service is detachment from material activities, and attachment to the transcendental service of the Lord. The process of breaking attachment to the material world is discussed in the beginning of this chapter. That's the first five verses. The root of this material existence grows upward. This means that it begins from the total material substance, from the topmost planet of the universe. From there, the whole universe is expanded with so many branches representing the various planetary systems. So this is the tree. The fruits represent the results of living, uh, living entities' activities Namely, religion, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation. So then Prabhupada, uh, at the end of the purport, he says that the material reflection of the real tree has to be cut off. So that's what it is, the reflection. All these things here that we're attached to, it's actually a reflection of the real tree. So we have to cut that. When it is said that a person knows the Vedas, it is assumed that he knows how to cut off attachment to this material world. If one knows that process, he actually knows the Vedas. One who is attracted by the ritualistic formulas of the Vedas is attracted by the beautiful green leaves of the tree. He does not exactly know the purpose of the Vedas. The purpose of the Vedas, as disclosed by the personality God himself, is to cut down this reflected tree and attain the real tree of the spiritual world. So we see in this chapter, the Supreme Lord told King Ritu that he didn't have to finish this Vedic uh, ritualistic formula of these horse sacrifices. And if uh, King Krita was more attracted to that than to pleasing the Supreme Lord, then he would, have, he would not have understood what the Vedic literatures are. But here we see that he knows that. So he's a very good example. So in the second verse of this 15th chapter, the translation is, the branches of the streaks extend downward and upward, nourished by the three most material nature. The twigs are the objects of the senses, this tree also has its roots going down, and these are bound to the fruitive actions of human society. So here is describing, as probably mentioned, in that it represents universe. And in this purport, 
Prabhupada says, in the lower parts, there is variegated manifestations of living entities. Human beings, animals, horses. This is the lower parts of the tree. Uh, cows, dogs, cats, etc. These are situated in the lower parts of the branches. Whereas on the upper parts are higher forms of living entities. The demigods, Gandharvas, and many other higher species of life. As a tree is nourished by water, so this tree is nourished by the three modes of material nature. And then another part of this purport, Prabhupada says, the twigs of the tree are considered to be the sense objects. By development of the different modes of nature, we develop different senses. And by the senses, we enjoy different varieties of sense objects. The tips of the branches are the senses, the ears, the nose, eyes, etc., which are attached to the enjoyment of different sense objects. The twigs are sound, form, touch, and so on. The sense objects. The subsidiary roots are attachments and aversions, which are byproducts of different varieties of sufferings and sense enjoyment. The tendencies toward piety and impiety are considered to develop from the secondary roots, which spread in all directions. So Prabhupada ends the purport by saying, this planet of human beings is considered the field of activities. So let's go to verse 3 and 4, it's together. The real form of history cannot be perceived in this world. No one can understand where it ends, where it begins, or where its foundation is. But with determination, one must cut down the strongly rooted tree with the weapon of detachment. Thereafter, one must seek that place from which, having gone, one never returns. And there surrender the Supreme Personality of Godhead from everything began and from whom everything extended since time immemorial. So that's also a very nice verse. And Sri Prabhupada in the purport, I'll just read a couple of sentences here. He says, one has to search out that origin of this tree, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, through the association of persons who are in knowledge of that Supreme Personality of Godhead. So here, we like to hear from the devotees because when they speak, they carry the saffron dust. So they have knowledge of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then Prabhupada says, then by understanding, one becomes gradually detached from this false reflection of reality. And by knowledge, one can cut off the connection and actually become situated in the real tree. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to climb the real tree. So Prabhupada says in another part here, Therefore one must learn detachment by discussion of spiritual science based on authoritative scriptures, and one must hear from persons who are actually in knowledge. As a result of such discussion in the association of devotees, one comes to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then the first thing one must do is surrender. So this is a surrendering process. It's to hear from the devotees. They help us surrender. Just like Pritamara was saying, I just want to hear about you in the association of devotees and then serve you. So therefore, to get out of the entanglement of the strong pandemonium of material life, one must surrender Krishna. As soon as one surrenders unto Krishna, one becomes detached automatically from this material extension. Okay, so the last verse of this chapter that we're going to read are the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Those who are free from false prestige, illusion, and false association, who understand the eternal, who are done with material lost, who are free from the dualities, happiness, and distress, and who, unbewildered, no utter surrender the Supreme Person attain to that eternal kingdom. So, again, in Prabhupada's purport here, there's a nice section. I'll just read. When one is free from delusion caused by pride, he can begin the process of surrender. For one who is always expecting some honor in the material world, it is not possible to surrender the Supreme Person. So, Pritamaraj is a good example of that. If he was proud and wanted to perform his hundred whole sacrifices, then, you know, he was looking for honor. He wanted to be known, you see. But if he was like that, he wouldn't have been able to surrender to Krishna's desire. So, Prabhupada continues, Pride is due to illusion. For although one comes here, stays for a brief time, and then goes away, he has the foolish notion that he is the Lord of the world. He thus makes all things complicated and he is always in trouble. The whole world moves under this impression. People are considering the land, this earth, to belong to a human society. And they have divided the land under the false impression that they are the proprietors. One has to get out of this false notion that human society is the proprietor of this world. When one is freed from such false notion, he becomes freed from all the false associations caused by Familial, social, national affections. So in the next verse, this is what he's going to talk about, how, you know, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, that what is this that we're attached to these things? This is what it is. 
the social and national affections. These faulty associations bind one to this material world. After this stage, one has to develop spiritual knowledge. One has to cultivate knowledge of what actually is his own and what is actually not his own. And when one has an understanding of things as they are, he becomes free from all dual conceptions such as happiness and stress, pleasure and pain. He becomes full in knowledge. Then it is possible for him to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So that's so nice. Very nicely described there in that verse. So going on, there are such, so many wonderful prayers throughout the Bhagavatam. We have these wonderful prayers from Prithu Maharaj. And then there's some nice prayers in the 10th canto, chapter 40. Prayers of Akura. And he's almost saying the same thing about people uh, Mogita, bewildered. Tava, Maya, by the illusory energy. And it's based on what Ahamama, Iti, conceptions of I and my, which is Asat, false, Graha, whose conceptions, Brahmate is made to wander, Karma, a fruity work, Vartamasu, along the paths. So this is what he says. There's a very few, there's a few nice verses by Akura, and he's talking on these same points. O Supreme Lord, the living entities in this world are bewildered by your illusory energy, becoming involved in the false conceptions of I and my. They are forced to wander along the paths of fruity work. I too am deluded in this way. O Almighty Lord, foolishly thinking my body, children, home, wife, money, and followers to be real, though they are actually as unreal as a dream. Thus mistaking the temporary for the eternal, my body for myself, and sources of misery for sources of happiness, I have tried to take pleasure in material dualities. Covered in this way by ignorance, I could not recognize you as a real object of my love. Just as a fool overlooks a body of water covered by the vegetation growing in it and chases a mirage, so I have turned away from you. My intelligence is so crippled that I cannot find the strength to curb my mind which is disturbed by material desires and activities and constantly dragged here and there by my obstinate senses. So Preacher Maharaj is in uh, chapter 22. He's going to approach the four Kamaras and basically he's going to say the same thing. How can I, in this material world, you know, who's being dragged like this, become free? And these are going to be some very important uh, lessons we'll learn in chapter 22, what uh, Sanat Kamara actually tells the king. It's very, very powerful. Maybe we'll mention a few if we have time. So uh, Akura continues. Being thus fallen, I'm approaching your feet for shelter. O Lord, because although the impure can never attain your feet, I think it is nevertheless possible by your mercy. Only when one's material life has ceased, O Lotus and Evil Lord, can one develop consciousness of you by serving your pure devotees. So here we go again. His devotees are very important. Obeisances to the Supreme Absolute Truth, the possessor of unlimited energies, is the embodiment of pure transcendental knowledge, the source of all kinds of awareness, and the predominator of the forces of nature that rule over the living being, is glorifying the Lord. O Son of Vasudev, obeisances to you, within whom all living beings reside. O Lord of the mind and senses, again I offer you my obeisances. O Master, please protect me, who I am surrendered unto you. So he surrendered. So he surrendered devotee. So it's so nicely described there. So also, in the third canon, it talks about this vacha that we mentioned in our verse by the Vedic direction. And this is um, in the third canon, or 15th chapter, text number 8. And this is where it says here, All the living entities within the universe are conducted by the Vedic directions, as a bull is directed by the rope attached to its nose. No one can violate the rules laid down in the Vedic literatures. To the chief person who has contributed to the Vedas, we offer our respect. So this is interesting. It's saying that we shouldn't be attached to the flower of the Vedas. Now it's saying that we have to. So this is an interesting point. Let's read on. And the purport of Prophet says, Sense gratification is just like salt. One cannot take too much or too little, but one must take some salt in order to make one's foodstuff palatable. 
those conditioned souls who have come into this material world should utilize their senses according to the direction of the Vedic literature. Otherwise, they will be put into more miserable conditions of life. No human being or demigod can enact laws like those of the Vedic literature because the Vedic regulations are prescribed by the Supreme Lord. So here you go. So it's given us a clue there, a hint. So if we go to the third canon, uh, chapter 21, text number 16, here it's describing again. Oh my Lord, you're the master and leader of the living entities. Under your direction, all conditioned souls, as if bound by rope, are constantly engaged in satisfying their desires. Following them, own vitamin and religion, also bear oblations for you for eternal time. So the Vedas are, are it, they're like directing us like a bull being bound by rope. Here it says, we're bound by the rope and satisfying our desires. So in this purport, there's a nice paragraph Srila Prabhupada says, this is actually the chapter 21, is Kardama Muni, is when he's approaching the Lord and he wants to get married. <laughs> so, so when we ask, well, why does he's so advanced, why does he want to get married? Shouldn't he ask for liberation? But this is what Prabhupada says in the purport here. Why did he want to enjoy material life in spite of his personally seeing and experiencing the Supreme Lord? So you see the same thing Prithamaraj is seeing and experiencing the Supreme Lord himself. And there's a difference here, we'll see here. So he says, the answer is that not everyone is competent to be liberated from material bondage. It is therefore everyone's duty to enjoy according to his present position. But under the direction of the Lord or the Vedas, the Vedas are considered to be the direct words of the Lord. The Lord gives us the opportunity to enjoy material life as we want. And at the same time, he gives us directions for the modes and processes of abiding by the Vedas so that gradually one may be elevated to liberation from material bondage. The conditioned souls who have come into the material world to fulfill their desires to lord it over material nature are bound by the laws of nature. The best course is to abide by the Vedic rules. That will help one to be gradually elevated to liberation. So Prabhupada finishes, Karvamuni addresses the Lord as Sukha, which means the leader of religion. One who is pious should follow the rules of religion, for such rules are prescribed by the Lord himself. No one can manufacture a concocted religion. Religion refers to the injunctions or laws of the Lord. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that religion means to surrender unto Him. Therefore, one who follows the Vedic regulations and surrenders unto the Supreme Lord because that is the ultimate goal of perfection of human life. So, that's it. Follow the Vedic regulations and surrender to the Supreme Lord because that's the ultimate goal and perfection of life. So, that's what we should be doing. We should follow the Vedic regulations. Not that we you know, we just think, if we just hear about the Lord, we don't, we, we don't follow the regulations. But yes, we do. We follow them. Because in the 11th canto, this is a 12th chapter, there's verses 1 and 2. It's described here, this, Vratani Yagnas Chadamsi. This is the confidential mantras, the chanting of the confidential mantras. So here, this is, um, the personality guided is instructing Uddhava. And is telling him, My dear Uddhava, by associating with my pure devotees, one can destroy one's attachment for objects of material sense gratification. Such purifying association brings me under the control of my devotee. But then, right after this, he says that you may perform Astanga Yoga, you may engage in philosophical analysis of the elements of material nature, you may practice nonviolence, you may practice principles of piety. You may chant the Vedas, you may perform penances, you may take to the renounced sort of life, you may execute all kinds of sacrificial performances, you may dig wells, plant trees, perform public, other public welfare activities, you may give in charity, material severe vows, worship the demigods, you may chant confidential mantras, you may visit holy places or accept major or minor disciplinary injunctions. So he says that a devotee can destroy our attachment to material sense objects and bring, bring him under his control, the, door, the Lord. So he says, you may perform all these things I just mentioned, but even performing such activities, one does not bring me under his control. So this is a very nice purport given by the, the surrendered devotees of Srila Prabhupada. And it talks about this, it's very nicely described. So it says, the superiority of satsanga, or association with pure devotees, in awarding the fruit of love of God, it does not mean that one should give up other processes, or that these secondary processes 
are not permanent factors in bhakti yoga. There are many Vedic conjunctions instructing one to execute the Agnihota sacrifice, and the modern-day followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also occasionally execute fire sacrifices. Such sacrifice is recommended by the Lord Himself in the previous chapter, and therefore it should not be given up by the devotees of the Lord. By performing Vedic ritualistic and purificatory processes, one is gradually elevated to the platform of devotional service, whereupon one is able to directly worship the Absolute Truth. One Vedic conjunction states, quote, the result awarded for fasting continuously for one month on six different occasions can easily be achieved simply by accepting a handful of rice offered to Lord Vishnu. This facility is especially offered in Kali Yuga, end quote. Nevertheless, regulated fasting on a codice is not an impediment to spiritual advancement. Rather, it is a perpetual aspect of devotional service and can be considered an auxiliary principle, supporting the main principle of worshipping Lord Krishna and his devotee. Because such secondary principles help one become fit for executing the primary processes of devotional service, they are also greatly beneficial. Therefore, such secondary principles are widely mentioned throughout the Vedic literature. It may be concluded that such secondary principles are essential for advancement in Krishna consciousness, and therefore one should never give up the principle of rata, the execution of prescribed vows. So it continues here. Very nicely. So now <clears throat> they're referring to the previous chapter where Sridhar Swami mentioned these words, Adhyayavan Guna Dosha, indicate that a devotee should select Vedic principles that do not conflict with his service to the Lord. Many of the elaborate Vedic ceremonies and complicated procedures for fasting, demigod worship, and yoga practice cause great disturbance to the supreme process of Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, hearing and chanting about the Lord. Therefore, they are rejected by the Vaishnavas. However, the process is helpful to devotional service should be accepted. The example can be given of Maharaj Yudhisthira, who was instructed by the dying Bhishma Dev. In Srimad Bhagavatam 1.9.27, Bhishma instructs King Yudhisthira in Dana Dharma, or public acts of charity, Raja Dharma are the duties of a king. Moksha Dharma are duties for salvation. Or Sri Dharma are duties for women. And ultimately, Bhagavad Dharma are pure devotional service to the Lord. So we see the same thing. Pritamaraj was doing the same thing. He was doing all these special dharmas and things, you know, basically for the citizens because it was his duty. So Bhishma did not limit his discussion to Bhagavad Dharma because Lord Krishna gave Maharaj the devotional service of acting as a king. And to execute his service, Yudhisthira Maharaj required extensive knowledge of civic affairs. However, one who is not rendering such prescribed devotional service in society should not unnecessarily involve himself in the material world, even by practice of Vedic rituals. Nothing should distract him from the ultimate goal of satisfying Lord Krishna. So it continues here. Just bear with me. The principle of not giving up prescribed vows may be further illustrated by the example of Maharaj in the ninth canto, Srimad Bhagavatam, we find that although Maharaj Ambris performed elaborate Vedic sacrifices, his goal was always to satisfy the Lord. Same with Maharaj Pritam. The citizens in his kingdom did not desire to go to heaven because they were always hearing about the glories of Vakunta. Ambris Maharaj, along with his queen, observed vows of Ekadasi and Dvadasi for one year. Since Ambris Maharaj is considered to be a great jewel among Vaishnavas, and since his behavior was always exemplary, it is definitely concluded that each vow as fasting on Ikadis, that such vows as fasting on Ikadis are imperative for Vaishnavas. It is further stated in Vedic literature, quote, if due to negligence a Vaishnava does not fast on Ikadis, then his worship of the Lord Vishnu is useless and he will go to hell, end quote. The members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness fast from grains and beans on Ikadis, and this vow should always be observed by all of its members. If one falsely thinks that one may obtain the association of Lord Krishna merely by great austerities, brilliant studies in Sanskrit literature, magnanimous acts of charity, etc., one's Krishna consciousness will be distorted and weakened. One should remember the example of Lord Chaitanya, who practiced Krishna consciousness by constantly hearing and chanting about Lord Krishna. If by fasting, study, austerity, or sacrifice one becomes more fit to participate in the sacred time moment of Lord Chaitanya, then such activities are also pleasing to Lord Krishna. But the Lord clearly explains here 
that such activities can never become central in the practice of bhakti yoga. They must remain in an auxiliary relationship to the supreme process of satsanga, or association with pure devotees, who hear and chant about the glories of the Lord. Srila Madhavacharya is quoted from the Vedic literature that if one offends the Lord's devotees and does not learn to associate with them, Lord Vishnu personally places barriers in the path of such a person so that he may not enter into the Lord's company. Wow. So you see, we're seeing more and more the importance of devotees and their association <clears throat> and how we perform these activities and what is most important. And this has been given us this clue by Mars Pritu. So, it's described here that because in the, in the in this chapter actually in verse 15 the Lord Vishnu actually kind of hinted that he would get the association of these pure devotees and that's in the, the verse 15 where uh, he, he told him that you know if you continue to protect the citizens according to the instructions of the Lord and Brahman authorities as they received in disciplic succession by hearing from master to disciple and if you follow the religious principles laid down by them without an attachment to ideas manufactured by mental concoction, then every one of your citizens will be happy and will love you. And very soon you'll be able to see such already liberated personalities as the four Kamaras, Sanaka, Sanatana, Sananda, and Sanakamara. Those are the, he'll be, it's called the Drasti Siddhan. So he'll see these uh, perfected personalities and that he will also be loved by all the citizens. So this is very nice. So, as we read in that purport uh, to this particular verse for 2015, he talks about there, so the prophet says, about what happens uh, when we don't actually uh, try to get the association of devotees or follow the Vedic principles and these things, what actually happens. So, Prabhupada mentions here that, that the specific the specific purpose in mentioning herein that one should follow the, the Dvi Jagaryas, the most prominent Brahmanas. So this is what happens when we follow them and what happens when we don't follow them. Like Parshara and Manu. These great sages have already given the instructions on how to live according to the principles of Anasham Dharma. Similarly, Sanatana Goswami and Rupa Goswami have given us rules and regulations for becoming pure devotees of the Lord. It is essential, therefore, to follow the instructions of the Acharyas in the Parampara system who have received the knowledge as passed down from spiritual master to disciple. In this way, although living in our material condition of life, we can get out of the entanglement of material contamination without leaving our positions. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu advises, therefore, that one does not have to change his position. One simply has to hear from the perfect source. This is called Parampara and follow the principles for practical application in life. Thus, one can attain the highest perfection of life. Liberation, and go book home, back to God. In other words, a change required is a change in consciousness, not in the body. Unfortunately, in this fallen age, people are cons- concerned with the body, not with the soul. So this says we're reading what happens when one is always just considering sense gratification, how one gets more troubles, you know, what happens... So all these things, more proper brings it out here in this purport. They have invented so many isms pertaining to the body, only not to the soul. So here he talks about it. In this modern age of democracy, there are so many government representatives voting for legislation. Every day they bring out a new law. But because these laws are only mental concoctions, manufactured by inexperienced conditioned souls, they cannot give relief to the human society. Formerly, although kings were autocrats, they strictly followed the principles laid down by the great sages and saintly persons. Who were, there were no mistakes in ruling over the country, and everything went perfectly. The citizens were completely pious, the kings levied taxes legitimately, and therefore the situation was very happy. At the present moment, the so-called executive heads are more or less selected from materially ambitious persons who simply look after their own personal interests. They have no knowledge of the Shastras, in other words, the executive heads are fools and rascals in the strict sense of the terms, and the people in general are sudras. This combination of fools and rascals and sudras cannot bring about peace and prosperity in this world. Therefore, we find periodic upheavals in society in the forms of battles, communal riots, and fratricidal quarrels. 
Under these circumstances, not only are the leaders unable to lead the people toward liberation, but they cannot even give them peace of mind. In Bhagavad Gita stated that anyone who lives on concocted ideas without reference to the shastras never becomes successful and does not attain happiness or liberation after death. Wow. This is pretty heavy. Wow, time really flew by. Anyway, I was going to read a little bit more, but since it's getting late, maybe we could open up for discussion. But what I was going to say is when Pritamaras meets, I'll just kind of summarize the uh, four Kamaras. Uh, he offered some very nice prayers to them too, which are actually worth repeating. And uh, here he's actually glorifying the Brahmanas and the Vaishnavas because they're actually bearers of Lord Vishnu. And because they have extreme love for Lord Vishnu, they always carry the Lord Vishnu within their hearts. So they actually are able to perceive him in ecstasy and then they carry that and wherever they go all over the world, they actually you know, distribute this to everyone. So, yeah, it's just so many, amazing how he was glorifying the devotees and Prabhupada mentions in some of those purports that the pure devotees and Vaishnavas, they just travel all over the world you know, and they just, they just uh, you know, wherever they go, they create a holy place, a holy tirta. And uh, so it's nicely described there. So he said uh, here that one of the purports Prabhupada mentions in one of the verses that the conclusion is that if a saintly person goes to the house of even an unimportant man, such a person becomes glorious by its blessings. So even it doesn't matter how poor you are, that you will actually become very, very, very fortunate. And how wherever the Vaishnava goes, that place becomes a Tirtha. So that's why they travel the world and they make so many places of pilgrimage by the touch of the Lord's feet. And, uh, and where they don't go, where they don't, these homes where they don't invite the Vaishnavas, then it's considered to be like a residential quarters of just venomous serpents. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's, it's so many nice uh, verses here of uh, glorifying the devotees of the Lord and how important they are. And Maharaj is offering prayers to the four Kamaras when they come. And then right immediately when Sanat Kamara begins to you know, thank the king for his wonderful prayers, he again talks about how important it is for devotee association. So this goes on and on, how the discussion between devotees is so important and how everyone's benefited both transcendentally and materially okay so and it's in there and let's open it up for any discussion comments or realizations anybody have something because I can always jump in I had a realization to share but anybody wants to go first, go ahead. No, go for it, Prabhu. Love to hear what you have to say. Okay. Uh, great class, Goji. In the Thank beginning, you, in the beginning, you were talking about. Give us a nice example that uh, at your home, your, your wife is listening to a class, you're listening to something else, and, and you, you sort of expanded upon that. That there's. There's so many classes, so much wonderful kata to hear that's being broadcast throughout the world. But how wonderful it would be if we had millions of ears to be able to, to hear that. Yeah. And, and, of course, that makes us think of the verse by uh, Rupa Goswami, uh, we all know that verse. Uh-huh. Where he's praying he wish he had, had millions of ears uh, to hear. But I was thinking that um, I I have two ears, and but I can I can still only listen to one thing. Uh, if I have one ear, um, and we've all probably maybe experienced this, like some uh, the other day I, I had a headset on my uh, my my AirPods, so I was listening to class, and one of them stopped working. So I could only hear with one ear, mm-hmm. and it, it, it really annoyed me. Um, I just I couldn't. But, but uh, so I, I took that the AirPods off and I put on uh, a wired headset, and oh, well now I can hear much better now. 
but I still wouldn't be able to hear two classes. So I was thinking that um, when Rupa Goswami was praying, it, I wish I had millions and millions of ears to hear. I was just sort of, this is kind of an interesting philosophical speculation I was having, that he wanted many ears so that he could hear the same thing, like maybe it's someone's chanting Krishna's name, he could hear it better and better and better with more and more ears. Um, because imagine if we, suppose we had four ears, how much better we able to hear a class or hear a kirtan. Sure. If you plug one ear, you can only hear so well. With two ears, oh, we, it's like you get the stereophonic. If you had four ears, you get like quadraphonic sound. So if we had millions of ears, imagine how much better we could hear that same thing. Anyway, so where my speculation went from there, and again, this is just philosophical speculation, but I found it interesting in my own head, and that is, it's always bewildered me about Lord Brahma, that Lord Brahma, our Brahma, has four heads, and in other universes, mm -hmm. he has eight heads or 16 heads or hundreds yeah. of heads, sometimes millions of heads. Yeah. So I was thinking, in that particular case, maybe that is the advantage of having more than one head, then like that you could listen to more than one class or be thinking or doing something, uh, you know, many things at once would yeah. be the advantage of, of, of the heads that he has. Because I've always thought, you know, God, what's the purpose of, of the different heads? But as I was thinking in this way, I was thinking, wow, maybe that's what it's like. Maybe that's the advantage of Lord Brahma having more than one head. And sometimes we even have the expression, two heads are better than one. Mm. So we, we have... You know, if you have a friend, just like this Sangha, we've got maybe 20 people listening. So when we're all making comments and everybody's throwing some nectar in, it's like it's uh, we have more heads involved. So anyway, that was that was my uh, sort of speculative realization that maybe what Rupa Goswami was talking about was that he could hear it. So we could hear it so much better, so much clearer. It would be so much sweeter if we could just hear from every part of our body the, the sound of Krishna, rather than hearing something different, just hearing the same thing, which is infinitely sweet, just drink it even, even more. So, yeah. And then it made me think more about maybe this is why Lord Brahma's got more than one head, so we can be thinking about different things and doing different things at one time, rather than just doing the one thing better. He's got multiple things going on. Uh, what, yeah. do you, what, do you, what do you think? What do you yeah. think of that? I was actually like, have I gone mad or what? I was thinking very something very similar. I was thinking of Brahma's head, something like that. But I think what both of what you're saying would be practical. I mean, I'm sure if Brahma wants to focus on something, maybe he could use like a hundred heads, just focusing on one kirtan, like you're saying, <laughs> and really get yeah. into it. And then uh, you know, another couple hundred heads just on uh, reading the Vedas or something. But yeah, it's like I can't even imagine the uh, oceanic nectar there is. Yeah, ma imagine if we could read like, if we could read like a whole bunch of different books at one time. We've got to read one and, and we have two eyes. You yeah. know, it's a, two eyes are definitely better than one eye, but you can still only read one book, right? Yeah. Yeah. But imagine <laughs> if we had, you know, that facility of those multiple heads. Lord Brahma could probably read all the, if he had a million heads, he could read like all the Vedas in <laughs> a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, yeah. anyway, that was that was my mad my madness, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it in my own head. I just wanted to share that. Yeah, it's nectar. That's the real nectar. <laughs> Expands. Yeah. Thank you. That's cool. Got it. Uh, thank you for class, bro. Thank you, bro. Uh, got it, bro. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a comment. Um, kind of complex. Uh, I really don't haven't thought it out very well, so it may come out uh, not so understandable. No but problem. It, um, I when uh, going through these prayers, especially this prayer um, that we're just reading today, you really uh -huh. get a sense of how Maharaj Prato he um, uh, how he's presenting for all of us. Uh, yeah. purity of his desire for uh, absolute pure devotional service without being bewildered by anything mm -hmm. that's uh, material. Um, the, it reminds me of, uh, in the Mahabharata, there's the story of Mungala Rishi, 
which I've told a couple of times in class, but it's it's worth repeating. Uh, there was this sure. one BC. He uh, would fast uh, for a fortnight, uh, two weeks, and then he would just eat every two weeks when they're done and then he'd fast again. He was following this for some time. And uh, his family would also follow the same thing. Uh, no, he actually, you're... you're oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll mute myself. Go ahead, Ron. I'm, I'm anyway, uh, so he would only eat two weeks. His family would also fast with him. And so he was very famous. And so much so that Durvasa Muni... Uh, he heard about his exploits, and one of the things that Dravasa Muni does is he likes to check on you know, <laughs> like his service yeah. to make sure everybody's a, actually being a real Brahmana. Dravasa so, <laughs> yeah. has this kind of a temperament that he's... Uh, uh, Duravasa means... Uh, Vasa means uh, dress, and Dur means without. <laughs> so it means hmm. he goes naked. And it also means he has a very bad temperament. So anyway, he uh, came to this uh, uh, Moon Galarishi, and he thought he was probably just a fake like so many others. So uh, just as he was about to break his fast, Dravasa shows up, and he uh, wants to uh, uh, eat. So whatever food that was left uh, that he he was going to share with his family, this Moon Galarishi gave to Dravasa. He was eating and eating, and then after he was uh, uh, finished he took whatever food was left over and he smeared it all over his naked body. And the whole time he was cursing this moon Gavarichi, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're a fake. Wow. Yeah, I was really abusing it. And the, uh, the, uh, the Rishi was not at all disturbed and he thanked Devasa. He said, please come again. Devasa said, no problem, I'll definitely be back. So he came back again. I, I don't remember. I think he came back three times and uh, moon Gavarichi was... Uh, completely undisturbed, so he said, boy, you're the real thing. So he gave him a benediction. Uh, he said that uh, you can immediately go to heaven. So just at the, uh, just after he left, uh, Dabrasamun left, there was a, a Vimana who came from uh, Indra Loka and wanted to uh, take uh, the sage immediately to heaven. But uh, the sage, he uh, he asked him, so well, tell me what is heaven like? And he started explaining the Nandana Garden. It's just like you were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he said, that, uh, then the Rishi said, uh, is there anything bad about it? And then he started describing that, well, you know, that after some time, you're, the garland you're wearing withers and then you have to come back down. And, you know, he started explaining it's not eternal. So... Uh, the sage, he said, no, 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 then I do not want this. Uh, I only want to go to Vaikuntha where, where we have eternally, we'll live there eternally. So anyway, the, 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 the lesson of the story is that uh, one has to have complete pure devotion, um, which is, of course, you know, these are stories, but, you know, how in our state to actually, uh, to imbibe that, you know, if we get some opportunity to present gratification, then we, we show the other devotees around us that are nearby, said, no, 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 I don't need it. And then we lament later about, oh, God, I could have had that. You know, so um, uh, we should try to uh, imbibe the, w the point that I was going with all this is that, uh, you see in the Bhagavatam the way it structures it. There, there are it's a book of prayers. Where yeah. the other Puranas, they really um, there's lessons there. Certainly, there's all the different aspects of a Purana, but especially in the Bhagavat Purana, there are so many prayers. It's almost like the stories that are given, the histories are given to lead up to the conclusion of the prayers. These are the prayers of all the different inhabitants and the heroes and like that. So we have. Uh, Marsh Prithu and he's giving all of these prayers. It's almost like in every chapter it ends up with a bunch of prayers. So the prayers are there as a, uh, to help us get into the mood of the pure devotees so that we can enter into their bhava. Um, anyway, yeah. that's kind of the point I want to make. I was going to say some more, but it's probably take too long. But anyway, that's no, no. The, the structure of the Bhagavatam uh, that... Uh, it's uh, the prayers that they're in order for us to enter into the bhava, 
you know, buvi uh, vavaka. It's uh, from the start of the Bhagavatam. That's what it, how it's stated. To uh, it's all about how to influence us to get the same mood as the great devotees of the Lord, so that we can relish them. Yeah, and these prayers—they're coming from the heart, right? They say that when the the voice or the speaking is has a direct connection to the heart. So that's why we want to hear directly from pure devotees and so so important it's so rare to be able to meet pure devotees which we you know have the association with Srila Prabhupada through his books like Prabhupada someone asked Srila Prabhupada who's going to you know uh, take over this society when you leave and Prabhupada said I will never die I will live ever, forever in my books yeah so he's you know Prabhupada is here with us and this is his words we're repeating and we're trying to imbibe them and they're coming from his heart, that purity, that dust, that saffron dust coming from the lotus feet of Krishna. It's, it comes from his heart through his mouth, you know, it enters our ears and we become purified. So yeah, prayers, prayers, prayers. Beautiful. You know, I'm going to just say one more quick thing and that's that... Uh, sure. Uh, I'm just listening to a lecture uh, uh, pointing out that uh, Viragacharya, Viragacharya, Viragava Acharya. Um, he analyzes the uh, first cancer of the Bhagavatam, the structure, in that uh, we have, first of all, uh, in the beginning, there is the uh, sages of Namasharanya, and then there is uh, Siddhartha Swami. They're on a certain level of the hearer and the chanter, but it's more removed from that of the pastimes of the Lord directly dealing with the Lord. You know, Siddhartha Swami heard uh, originally from Shukadeva Goswami and then he's relating to the sages and the sages uh, not necessarily are all of them you know on a pure platform but they have the desire to benefit people etc so it's, it's on a certain level and they, he refers to it as a Kanishta level of hearing and chanting and then the, the next the uh, Bhagavatam describes the meeting of Narada and Vyas and that's on another level, and he describes that as like the Madhima level, uh, because there's more dealings with uh, directly with the Lord. Uh, and then after that, it introduces Shukadeva <coughs> Swami and Maharaj Parikshit, which is on the highest Uttama level, because uh, of uh, their direct dealings uh, with the Lord. And, um, and he points out that the uh, description of Shukadeva Goswami actually there is not that much of a description. It's only one or two places that describe him, but there's several, like seven to nine chapters or whatever it is, about Maharaj Parikshit, the hearer. So the structure is uh, of the, the first canto of the Bhagavatam is showing us how important it is that uh, the hearer is almost more important than the chanter because hmm. to the audience how eager they are just like Maharaj Prichy was on the moment of death and he was intent on hearing so we have to be just like that in order to really get the uh, rasa the bhava of the Bhagavatam especially hmm. the prayers that are there the prayers yeah. So anyway, sorry for such a long comment. That's okay. a good point, because if we're hearing from materialists, then you see, whatever you're hearing, I mean, what you're attracted to, you want to hear about. So by hearing from pure devotees, they kind of wake us up and help us cut this tree of this attachment to this material world. And then we hear about Krishna, and <clears throat> it causes that creeper that we hear about, you know, how it grows and grows, it goes to the universes, and it reaches a spiritual sky. I'll just end with this point from Srila Prabhupada's purport. And this was to a, a verse uh, in chapter 22. This is uh, text number 23, I believe. And right at the end, Srila Prabhupada says, The real cause of growing of such a fruit, this is that creeper, which is here called the nectar, hearing the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is to water the creeper of devotional service by hearing and chanting. The purport is that one cannot live outside the society of devotees. One must live in the association of devotees, where there is constant chanting and hearing of the glories of the Lord. The Krishna consciousness movement has started for this purpose, so that hundreds of his concenters 
may give people a chance to hear and chant, to accept a spiritual master and disassociate themselves from persons who are materially interested. For in this way, one can make solid advancement in going back home, back to Gadir. Jai. Thank you. Very Jai Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you. Jai Prabhu. Thank you so much. Anybody else have any comments or questions? Otherwise, I guess you could end it there. Sorry for why not rattling on, rattling on. Thank you, Prabhu. All glory to Srila Prabhupada. Jai. All glory to Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.